Welcome to Storyboard. I'm Lars. I'm Meg. Today we're going to talk about our 2019 mood board films. We're going to pitch an original film for you. And then we're going to talk about movies we've been watching and that we want to recommend. Pull up a chair, baby. Today we're talking about 2019 mood board films. So these are just personal films, like um, areas of cinema we want to explore or ideas in our own lives that these movies represent, maybe. Um, So do you want to start us off? Yes. So for me, my mood board is definitely about... It's a cinematic mood board, so it's films that I want to see more of, you know, types of films, maybe moods in movies that I want Mm -hmm. to explore more, that I want to delve into. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really not personal or introspective to me, uh, Mm -hmm. because I realize that when I get introspective, I go, like, too deep, and it gets, I don't (laughs) want to seem like an absolute freak. So we're going to keep it cinematic. (laughs) Number one, The Last Supper. It's from 1995. Director is Stacy Title. It was her first feature, and she later did a few horror movies, but this is a black comedy starring Courtney B. Vance, Annabeth Gish, mm. Cameron Diaz, as three of the six group of liberal grad students in a college town in the Midwest, and they're living their, you know, dinner party lifestyle, and then... After they accidentally murder a white supremacist drifter, Sawi, who's played by Bill Paxton in like a truly demented role, I can see that. Um, it's like they have him, and there's this dinner from hell, and they accidentally murder him, but it's his fault. <laughs> they uh, of course it is. feel guilty about it, but then they're like, "Wait a minute! Like he was a horrible person. He was a monster," <laughs> and they start to have this discussion where they're like. Why don't we set up this experiment in which we invite the worst people imaginable to dinner and you try to convince them to change their ways? And if they don't... Try to convince them off themselves. Sorry. I was like, ooh, this got dark. That would be the 2019 version probably. But um, they try to convince them to change their ways. And if they won't, they have like this sort of like scales of justice, basically, intellectually, and they will murder the person. You know, they have like an anti-LGBTQ pastor. They have... Um, someone who's like, I don't give a damn about the environment. Like, who cares? Uh, they have an anti-abortion activist. There's a men's rights activist who's like straight out of incel boards now. Man, this so, is shades of 2019, oh, absolutely. Man. Like all of the <laughs> monstrous people, yeah, yeah are, yeah. you realize like, oh, they've been, they've just been here this whole time. So there's appearances by Jason Alexander. He's the mm. anti-environmentalist. Uh, Mark Harmon, Charles Durning, and things obviously go off the rails because their, their thirst for blood grows. <laughs> um, and the denouement involves this kind of like Alex Jones, Bill O'Reilly type talking head who they've seen on TV played by Ron Perlman. Oh, I um, that's good casting. Yeah, so there's a real, there's a, there's a twist. But I think what's interesting to me about this movie, aside from the fact that the people they murder are all archetypes that we think of as like contemporary (laughs) boogeymen yeah um is that it's all these milquetoast liberals who finally get up the gumption to like do something Mm -hmm. they're not like the type of grad students who are sitting around reading what is to be done and like making a radical plan of action or terrorism (laughs) they're law students and academics and i don't think my takeaway really aligns with what seems to be the critical consensus at the time 
in that I probably relate most to Courtney B. Vance's character. <laughs> and I think this is about making a plan yeah. and sticking to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do have written down that I think you would be Annabeth Gish's character, where at first you're like, but I'm a good person. and <laughs> We can't do this. And then you're like, ooh. ooh or maybe. Maybe I'm a bad murder. guy. <laughs> yeah. um, so I do want to see more political black comedies that force these sort of norm respecters and nose upturned liberal types into sort of like radical action so kind Mm -hmm. of push them to shove if you will well um my first couple are a little more of like my personal sort of intentions for the year i guess um and i kind of as you'll see i kind of segue into more of like areas of film i want to explore um but my first one is the green ray by eric romer which i was just researching and i didn't even know that that was um, a nom de plume and he's a very private person so like yes i know apparently like um when his mother died i mean obviously this is all years ago but like when his mother died she didn't even know he was a famous filmmaker he was so private and he had an omniplume that his mother didn't even know that he made films why did she think that he did i guess she knew he was a writer because i mean he was like a journalist and yeah. stuff um and a film critic so I didn't i'm know not that sure about- yeah so and i can't remember his real name now but yeah. like um I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. So actually, the I guess his name Eric Romer is from two, uh, I don't know, maybe literary figures or something he likes. So I'm like, it doesn't matter. So I'm like, I was gonna be like Romer or something. Yeah. But I'm like, it's actually I think like a uh, like an English writer or something. Oh, so I can just say Romer all I want. Yeah. So and like a dumb American. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought we're that was, free. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so the Green Ray, uh, 1986. So this is part of his Comedies and Proverbs series. He liked to do series, and I'm not uh, honestly sure what other films were in the series, but you can look it up. Um, So it's the beginning of summer, and um, Delphine, this woman Delphine, her plans fall through because I I believe uh, her fiancé is like, oh, hey, uh, we're not going to go on vacation, and we're going to break up. And she's just trying to suss out, like, okay, do I want to hang out with my friends? And then she hangs out with people, and she finds it hard to connect, and so she ends up spending time by herself. So a lot of it is just her sort of, like, walking along the Mm -hmm. beach and trying to make connections with people. And she's, you know, she's looking for romance, but every time it comes close, it still eludes her. And she just has to learn, like, either, you know, solitude, but also patience, and to just sort of of try to force it. And um, so the title, The Green Ray, is apparently a real-life thing. Where if you, uh, when you're watching the sunset, as the sun goes over the horizon, Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a rarity, but apparently it's a real thing, sometimes there'll just be a flash of green light. And I know I've never heard of it apart from this movie. Now I want to see it. (laughs) Yeah, and I think think the green light might also be like a Jules Verne book, and that's part of the whole thing, too. So, and in, and in the end, she finds, like, a very sweet man, um, and they're watching the sunset together, and she's like, just wait, wait, let's see if this happens. And um, so I'm trying to think of anything else. So it is his only, or his first film, at least, that uh, that has non-diagenic uh, music in it. So oh. usually he would just do whatever the characters are listening to, mm-hmm. or if they're singing a symphony or something. Um, but in this one, there's actually some music uh, composed for it. And, um, yeah, I'd say it's one of his more emotional films. Usually, he's, uh, you know, I love him, but he is a little more on the dry intellectual side. And this one, um, I don't know, she's she's very emotional and she's complicated. And, uh, and apparently the, the actress uh, helped co-write the script. Oh, and it was one of his more improvisational films. Usually he's, he's pretty... Um, uh, what sort I'm looking for? Not austere, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah, kind of austere and scripted. And so this one, there's a little more improv... I don't know, yeah, I love Romer already, and I just was, I liked the meditative mindfulness mm-hmm. of Delphine, 
and that sort of self-discovery element. Yeah, she's trying so. to figure out what she wants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. So I am so sad that I watched this next one after we recorded our musicals episode, but that's okay. That's part of a 2019 personal goal. It's a new Meg. She it's loves. A, she's all musical. It's all musical. It's the all musical Meg. Absolutely not. Okay. No. So um, I am starting to work my way through this list by the Australian film critic Alexandra Helen Nicholas. And the list is called Generation Starstruck, and it's this active list that she's compiled of Australian women directors' work from about 1980 to 1999. And the list is named after Gillian Armstrong's 1982 movie, Starstruck. So, Starstruck is what I... Well, I've seen a few of the films on the list, but as far as my intentions go, this is the first intentional one that I've watched as part of this this journey into Australian (laughs) women directors. So... Starstruck, New Wave Musical, Gillian Armstrong, 1982. Um, I watched it on Canopy, Ooh, which you very uh, likely have I access mean, to. Hey, you live in the US. for a recommendation. Yes. <laughs> canopy, Canopy, Canopy. canopy yeah. <laughs> they can sponsor us if they want, even mm-hmm. though our library card, our libraries are paying for their yeah, whole I was thing. Say. Not really sure. Which is free advertising. I yeah. work in libraries, so you know. Yeah. So Starstruck is a New Wave backstage type musical. Jackie Mullins lives with her extended family above the bar they own in this working class neighborhood in Sydney. And she wants to be the next new wave rock star. She wants to get on this like top of the pops type show that's really big in Australia. And she lives with her 14 year old cousin who has fashioned himself into be her manager. Mm -hmm. And he convinces her to pull these crazy stunts to get her name in the papers um, so that she can get on this music contest, uh, which include like he wants her to tightrope walk nude between these two buildings, but so instead she like puts on these that's like fake like plaster bears boobs and tightrope walks, and then <laughs> has to get rescued, and so her name does get out there, and she does end up on the show. Um, but then you know there's tension between like you know this boy that she meets and the band that she's mm. been playing with, but then she like they want her to perform this other weird stuff and not be herself. And I mean the best thing about the movie is just that there's music scenes with like pretty fun new wave music um there's this kind of like very the word populist has been so ruined but like a populist kind of like rollicking feminism mm-hmm. um and it's this really warm and open and endearing portrayal of working class life that honestly i think was more common in the 70s and 80s and you just don't see that the happiness and the warmth as much in um, movies about working class families these days so Starstruck, part of my Generation Starstruck project this year. <laughs> a very serious question. How yes. are the outfits and oh, wigs pr- and makeup? Oh, amazing. Okay. It's like fully crinolines. Like mm. she has definitely got like a, a look that she has definitely done all like DIY. Okay. So it's really charming to see her try to hold on to that while they're trying to put her in these like really <laughs> weird, you know, like early 80s like lame suit yeah. kind of thing. It sounds a lot like Breaking Glass. Yeah, uh, and actually yeah. I think it is pretty mm-hmm. similar. But, you know, it's got like those cute Aussie accents, so oh, it's yeah. really charming. Okay, I'm definitely going to check that yeah, out. Yeah, you, you definitely I, need to see I, it. Um, I think it was on my to-watch list before yeah. our musical episode. I just didn't get um, around to yeah. it, but I will definitely get to it now. All right, what's um, up next? All right, my next one is Gap Tooth Women by um, documentarian Les Blank. And I don't have the year here unfortunately, but it's from the 80s, I believe. Um, So it's a 30-minute short, Hmm. and it's basically, I mean, I don't know if you've seen any Les Blank documentaries, but he... Wait, what (sighs) else has he 
done? I'm trying to think as far as like bigger stuff, like Burden of Dreams, where he was um, filming. I'm trying to think if it was Fitzcarraldo or um, okay. he was in with uh, Werner Herzog oh, and that whole gang okay. and like Errol Morris. Yeah. And so I think he did like, uh, what is it? Werner Herzog eats his shoe or something because he's like, he had a bet with Errol oh, Morris. Right, right, like, right, he's right, like, you right. need to make a film already. And like, I'll bet you like, I'll eat my shoe if you make one, which seems like more of a, uh, an aggressive sort of like, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you're going to do it. But then it was actually meant to be like a, this is how Serious? far I will go if you will just because make a movie. Because it's Werner Herzog, yeah, so. Yeah. And so, uh, oh, and that's, that's another fun little short to watch is that he actually like cooks up the shoe and like softens it up with like Alice, is Alice Waters is like chopping up garlic no. and trying to like make it delicious. Trying to make it like and, a fancy. like make it edible. And uh, anyway, so Les Blank, I could watch this stuff all day. It's so beautiful. And if you want to believe in America, I don't know how to say this, like if you want to see these movies about America, you're like, no way this isn't America. This is, mm-hmm. like, made up. It's so lovely. Um, and people are nice. And I don't know. It, it's just really lovely stuff. So Gap Tooth Women is about this um, this movie all about women with gap teeth. I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. It's just, like, a worship of them. So, uh, and apparently I was watching an interview, and then um, Les Blank um, had a crush in school on this girl that had a gap in her teeth and, uh, he was just, like, in awe of her and intimidated and never talked to her. And then later he was like, why didn't I ever, like, try to approach her? And so this is kind of like a love letter. Oh. I don't know, in a way, like, yeah. many years later. And he went to college and they learned, like, well, according to, like, Chaucer and all these old folk, uh, tales, women with gaps in their teeth were considered kind of, like, sexy and kind of provocative and, hmm. you know, and so, um, so they mentioned that in the short and so, yeah, if you just want a lot of, like, beautiful shots of gap-toothed women and Lauren Hutton is I was just going to well. say, she's, like, yeah. the first yeah. person I think of. It's really yeah. pretty sweet because one of the, the gals is like, oh, when I was a, a kid, I thought that, you know, I'm going to get this fixed someday. Yeah. And then she's like, and then my friend brought, like, a magazine with Lauren Hutton on the cover. And she was like, you don't fix your gap tooth oh. Now it's, like, accepted that it's beautiful. <laughs> so you can yeah. take this to the top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, um, I mean, that is a very niche uh <laughs> you wouldn't call it a minority, I guess, like whatever. But I just love this idea of like accepting uh, things that are not imperfections. They're just things. Yeah. You know, it's and just you. So, yeah. Or just you. And so, yeah, that has to do with, you know, kind of a new year, new year, a uh, new year, new you, self acceptance, self appreciation, and self care. And yeah. so, yeah, good lesson for all of us. It sounds like a, like, um, like a 70s rock song, like Gap Tooth Women. <laughs> Gap Tooth Women. <laughs> yeah. See, yeah. she's writing it right now. <laughs> it's already written. <laughs> So my next one is Ruby in Paradise, directed by Victor Nunez. It's from 1993. It is Ashley Judd's first film role. She had done some TV before that, but this is her film debut. And she plays a young woman who's packed up and left some, like, vague, bad scene back in Tennessee. Um, And she arrives in Panama Beach, Florida, right at the beginning of the off-season. So it's, like, right when the tourists have all gone away. Um, so it's just really a movie about her starting over someplace new. There's nothing that crazy that happens. Uh, what I liked is that it's just this very clear-eyed, honest story about a young woman with not a lot of money, not a lot of social capital, just trying to make her life for herself. There's some heavy bad stuff that happens to mm-hmm. her, but it's nothing crazy, crazy. Uh, just like a lot of blows in life, they're not enough to totally crush her, but they're just really hard things she has to live through. Romance-wise work-wise those are kind of Mm -hmm. interrelated she you just watch her develop kind of skills to deal with the stuff as best as she can you know she's like 20 years old so super super young 
And, you know, she develops really sweet and endearing friendships with the women that she meets, that she works with. And Joel and I were actually watching it thinking that a woman had written it because it just felt so honest about, like, her internal monologue and the friends that she makes. Like, this girl that she starts working with who's in college, Rochelle. Um, encourages her yeah Rochelle Rochelle encourages her to you know like really think about what she wants for her life Mm -hmm. Um, and actually it wasn't it was written by Nunez but it was loosely based on Northanger Abbey which is the Jane Austen novel and that novel is also about a young woman who's kind of realizing that she wants something different than what her peers want than what the people around her want so I guess I really just want to see more movies that portray young working class women's lives without immediately succumbing to like disaster and ruin and putting them through this gauntlet of suffering that Mm -hmm. I think a lot of filmmakers think they need to do in order to have it be like this piece of realism. And second, I want to see more films that... So this is like me, like a vision board. I wish filmmakers hear my hear my calls. Or Ashley John. Yeah, oh wait, no, is that not it? Okay. Well, actually, yeah, because I mean, boy, I mean, talk she? about someone who got the shit out of the stick. Well, after the Ooh. Weinstein thing, yeah, like she's oh, one right. of the women who was, it was yeah, an like shadow like, band. Plot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I want to see. So I want to see more Ashley Judd. Yes. yes. And I also want to see more films that rework themes and story arcs from literature and modernize them for contemporary characters yeah. and issues. So the most famous version of that would be like Clueless, but hey, that's like an iconic <laughs> hey, movie man, people already hey. love. It's um, a that works. <laughs> but I think it can really be done su- so successfully, and I think Ruby in Paradise is a great example of that. You do not need to remake Rashomon as a TV series, which people are literally <laughs> oh. doing right now. Oh, oh, oh yeah. It's, and it's the same production company, I think, that did Haunting of Hill House, so God Uh-oh. help us. <laughs> but there's so much out there. And now that the, um, what's it, with the new year, oh, yeah, all there's a public whole domain. Public domain, yeah. yeah there's a whole so new slate of stuff in stories. public domain. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, I'm, I'm calling this forth. Let us do yeah. this. I know. It's like we love reboots, so let's reboot something let's from reboot 90 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> and just, yeah, I just think that offers so much more. Or what's next for you? What's on the docket? Okay, this is, I have so many feelings about this. Okay, oh. so this is when I was just like, I just have to talk about it. Yeah. I'll, I'll shoehorn whatever, like, <laughs> yeah. theme it is. You're like, we're going to talk about whatever. Like, okay, Daughters of Darkness, um, 1971, by, let's see, Harry uh, Kumel. Um, it's got one of those... Double dots over the oh, U. Oh, yeah. Umlaut. So. Yeah. yeah. Kumel. Yeah. Kumel. Anyways, he's Belgium. Um, so it is European erotica. Oh. So personal fave genre of mine. <laughs> yeah. So basically it's like, what is it? The Countess like uh, Bathory? Bathory. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was like Betelie or like. Oh, well, I always hear <laughs> Bathory. Bathory. So. All right. Bathory. So you've got a very glamorous like Matt, uh, Countess Bathory coming to this, and apparently I love like hotels, like European hotels, you know. So you do awesome. I do, I know. I was just thinking like, this is very similar to uh, Dead Mountaineers Hotel. So uh, there's this couple on their honeymoon. Um, the husband's a dick, and I'm not sure if we're supposed to think he's a murderer or a potential, oh. like Ted Bundy. I'm not sure because it's like he, he keeps saying like, yeah, I'm going to tell my mom. We're going to go visit my mom, and I'm going to go tell her we're married. And he like never, mm. uh, he like purposefully never like Weird. goes and like wires his mother or whatever you do back in the 70s. <laughs> um, and so anyways, they're at this, uh, they're kind of stuck in... I guess Belgium. Um, and so they're in this off-season hotel, and then uh, the Countess Bathory and her uh, paramour, her secretary, uh, come in, and so they're just like basically glamorous lesbian vampires. Wow. Yes. So I should have yeah. said, I'm sorry, I buried the lead. We've got glamorous, very posh, yes, um, lesbian vampires, 
And so there are all these like things in the paper about like these women being killed. And so I'm sort of thinking at first I was like, wait a minute. So is it that we're supposed to think they did or we're supposed to think the guy maybe did it? Because he seems kind of like into like these murders. Yeah. So I, I'm honestly not sure if we're supposed to think he is a murderer or if he's just sort of like a dick. Mm. And then he's kind of under their spell. So mm. like all like sort of Jallo sort of movies, it kind of doesn't make like sense, but that's right. not really the point. Hey, it's man, more yeah. like people it's looking. Aesthetic. It's, it's the more movie. the aesthetic. Um, so I just it's more of like this one's more for style. Yeah. Like I just this is a personal style goal, and I want to seek out which I I mean I already do plenty, but I want to seek out more obscure like Euro erotica yeah. thrillers. I mean, um, you've sold me on it for sure. Yeah, it is. It's a delight. So definitely more more Daughters of Darkness type movies in my life. That's what I want. My next one is also European, but a real different... Ooh, a real <laughs> different, different... Put some cold water on that. Yeah, kind of, although it's warm. Um, ya Shagayu Pa Moskve, or I Walk Ooh. Around Moscow. 1964, Georgi Danielia. Uh, so it takes place in the summer of 1963, and it's just two young guys. They meet on the Moscow Metro. Volodya is a writer from Siberia who's gotten, like, his big break getting published in a literary magazine. Mm -hmm. And Kolya has just come home from his night job digging tunnels. I don't know. It's very Soviet. It's (laughs) very, like, it's very Soviet. (laughs) Digging subway tunnels. But he's just trying, Kolya tries to help his friend, his new friend, find his way to this apartment. And basically, they just end up passing a day together, intersecting with various family and friends. It takes place over less than 24 hours. And it's uh, just a slice of life, like this lovely film about just walking or just walking through Moscow, like meeting friends, meeting a girl in a pretty girl in a record store. Mm. And like, then she kind of, you know, becomes part of your little crew. Oh. And, you know, this friend is trying to defer his military service. He's getting married. And it's just like this very sweet kind of dramedy, if you will. <laughs> Soviet dramedy. If you will, and I will. Um, it's definitely an artifact of the saw under Khrushchev. It does show the softer side of socialism. It was really, really popular among young people in the Soviet Union when mm-hmm. it came out. I guess I would say that people love American rom-coms because there's kind of fantasy, right? Like, there's yeah. no real problems. Like, mm-hmm. everyone has, you everyone know... their baker. Yeah, everyone <laughs> is wealthy and their problems are minor. Yeah. And I think Yesha Gayupa Moskve is my own version of that fantasy because everyone has full employment. Like, they have oh. these jobs, but they have plenty of leisure time to hang out with their friends. Like, you have an apartment. You don't have to worry about that. Like, the you know, the, the specter of the World War II is still there, but it's over and you're healing from that. And there's time to enjoy these sort of smaller pleasures in life. And... I mean, socialist realism has a bad rap, and very rightly so, because it was used as this, like, cudgel to <laughs> oppress writers. But the kernel of good in there is that, um, you know, the goal was to show real people, but working towards things as they could be, rather than just as they are. And I think if you have radical politics, you have to think a little bit speculatively, mm-hmm. right? You have to kind of make these science fictions, because we have to have something wonderful to work towards, right, to keep people going. You can't be what you can't see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to have a com- compelling vision for people. This film is just like this warm, beautiful version of like the best that a socialist society could be. And I mm-hmm. think that can be really valuable. And related to that, Joel and I were talking about this, and I really think we need more science fiction now that follows oh, that yeah. track. Life as it can be, not just like what's sort of currently rotting and dying, mm, taken to dystopia yeah. level, kind of following that Le Guin model. Mm-hmm. And this film, you know, I I know as soon as I say socialist realism, there's going to be some people that are like, oh, God, it is not a socialist <laughs> realist film. It's very lovely and warm. And it premiered at Cannes in 64 and it actually won an award for cinematography. Um, Vadim Yusov 
uh, was also cinematographer for Andre Rublev and Solaris. So Ooh, oh, there's like some legit, good. let me just say. Mm, chops. Yeah, lots yeah. of chops. And you can watch it on YouTube if you just want to see life as it could be. All right. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So um, now we're getting to the area where I was thinking about what um, genres and regions of the world. I'm like, I need to explore more of their films. Um, I'm ashamed that I haven't. So um, A Man Vanishes. And this is also, so this one, obviously, one I have seen, but just to encourage me, because there are some really lovely, um, like, Asian films out there. So this one is a Japanese film uh, by Shohei Imamura. It's from 1967. So it is a documentary, but it's one of those where it kind of blurs the line into, like, a cinema verite uh, kind of surreal vibe. Imamura uh, is known for films like Vengeance is Mine, The Pornographers, Pigs and Battleships, pretty much everything Criterion has put out yeah. ever. Um, <laughs> it's like every one of his films, basically. Yeah. Um, and so apparently in Japan, at least at this time, um, a lot of people would just, like specifically men maybe, would just go missing. And I don't know the exact reason. I haven't explored hmm. that. But um, this plastic salesman... Uh, disappeared, for, has been gone for two years at this point, and Imamura, I'm not sure how they found the, his fiance or how he came to find out about the story and why he chose her, but he spends the film with his fiance trying to figure out why, where he might have gone, mm-hmm. just she's picking up the pieces, and so this is really happening, okay, it, so so that's the thing with this film, it's like, you got that, that's actually like IRL happening, and then he realizes that she sort of seems to be kind of acting or sort of like changing when the camera's in front of her and maybe even sort of hitting on him Hmm. or kind of acting strange and so then he has to figure out for himself like what's real what is she putting on and then he kind of work like kind of leans into it and sort of stages things as well and so honestly as a viewer i'm truly not sure what is real and what's Hmm. staged but then he also makes you kind of aware of like this is staged because like in this one scene um this group of people are talking in this room and then he like sort of pulls out a little bit and the walls of this four-sided room fall down completely and you realize you're on a soundstage and you're like, what Whoa. am I watching? This is so amazing. <laughs> so um, I would say watch it as a little bit of a mind fuck that I truly don't know what, <laughs> I, I really can't yeah. go into like what I think is actually real or not. Yeah. So I would say check that out because it's a real, Mind fuck. Oh, I can't and wait. So it makes me just want to seek out uh, really stand out like uh, films from Japan, mm-hmm. South Korea, China, and Thailand. So I'm, I'm really excited to explore that yeah. in the new year. You've gotten me excited. Yeah. So my last one on my mood board slash vision board <laughs> is The Watermelon Woman, oh, 1996, yeah. directed by Cheryl Dunye. And when Dunya was in college, she conducted research for this black film history class and was interested in actresses from the early days of film, um, especially women who were in mammy roles and found the film credits often left these women out entirely. Mm. And the research she did for that class ended up leading her to make this film a few years later. And so she kind of plays a version of herself where she's this aspiring filmmaker in Philly. She's working at a video store with her friend. And she wants to make a documentary about a fictional woman who is credited only as the watermelon woman in movies from the 40s. And so it's following her. She's trying to make that movie. You know, it just also intertwines that, like, filmmaking process with 
uh, friendships and romances that kind of revolve around the video store where she works. There's kind of like a rom-com angle. There's a pretty spicy explicit sex Ooh. scene involved. Um, we'll come back to that. So, <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> <laughs> something that was really compelling to me, um, and it's related to the field that I'm in, which is special collections and archives, is that as she's conducting her research, the character Cheryl encounters all these problems with the silences in libraries and archives around people who were not deemed historically important mm-hmm. um, by the mainstream by academia so it's like pre-internet so she has to go to the library God, i know no. can you imagine a time oh, just to go to the library yeah <laughs> to find secondary sto- sources mm. and the librarian there is a total dick to her especially for films yeah and then she also goes on the other end she goes to conduct research at the center for lesbian information and technology or clit Oh, which, yeah. <laughs> which is in New York and has got to be based on the lesbian history archives. Um, so she ends up having to track down individual people who knew this actress and try to do her own oral history interviews. And she ends up having to talk to there's some really interesting scenes with community collectors like her mom and a family friend of her friend Tamara, both of who collect historical materials from black films and culture from the 20th century. I just thought it was really a realistic portrayal from the researcher's end of trying to commemorate a scene or an experience, a person who's not represented in a lot of official spaces. There's another archives connection in that UCLA Film and TV Archive actually remastered and restored the film. And I discovered along the way that it the Watermelon Woman was made partially with NEA funding. And when House Republicans got a hold, got like a wind that this <laughs> film was made with NEA funding, they like made a whole thing in the House Education Subcommittee. Like there was an investigation oh, because God. they did not want this funding Jesus. to go to a movie made by a black lesbian filmmaker with an explicit sex scene. <gasps> and Scandal. I, yeah. I mean, they like fully were holding hearings about it. And as oh, a result, God. the NEA actually changed the way it awarded funding. So rather than giving it to um, partner organizations to distribute Mm -hmm. and the nea funds specific projects because they want to make sure taxpayer money isn't going to some wacky stuff that republicans wouldn't approve of you found out that that library gossip yeah that's that's actually (laughs) 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 about funding yeah (laughs) but it's really interesting it's like what gets you know she needed that kind of um, institutional support to get the movie made and so it's like if they change their processes that really limits a mm-hmm. lot of creative work that can be done with public funding, and that's not the way it is in a lot of countries. So it's like, what are we missing out on because we silence those people? Yeah. Speaking of the UCLA film department, that segues very hey. neatly into my uh, final pick, Killer of Sheep, which is really, again, a movie I could shoehorn in any old topic, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I'm like, let's just talk about this. So uh, it was made, I think, in 1975, but wasn't, I don't know if released is the word, but, you know, put out until uh, 19, 1978. Uh, Charles Burnett was in the UCLA film program. And this was his, I mean, I love when you like, you see a film like Wings or something like, oh, this was their uh, master's thesis. Or this, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is their submission. Cool. Cool. It's a student film, totally. but it's like the most brilliant thing ever. Okay, great. Um, no, so, I'll just go fuck myself. I'll just go, yeah, you know, uh, cry. Um, so uh, it's a film set in the Watts area of Los Angeles, a slaughterhouse worker. I just, I, I don't know why, I think I just completely copied this from my IMDb. A slaughterhouse yeah. worker. Um, no, um, basically, it's just like a slice of life of this neighborhood. So there is a, a father that works at a slaughterhouse. And so it's mostly about him and his wife and his uh, children and the children in the neighborhood and and his neighbors and his friends. So you kind of get 
uh, a little bit of, of everyone's story, kind of like in that sort of European way where instead of focusing on one person, it's like everyone in the village. Um, so it's black and white. It's beautiful cinematography. Um, and you know how I am with kitchen sink dramas? Oh, but, <laughs> but no, I, I love this because kind of like you said, I mean, it's a... I don't know if it's a, you know, you can't be what you can't see sort of thing, but I love that it doesn't hit these dramatic beats like you would think. Yeah. Like, they're just, like, living their life. Like, there's this point scene, and that I, list, I saw an interview with Charles Burnett, like, as a kid. For some reason, his teacher was like, okay, everyone that's, uh, like, we got rich, middle class, and poor. Now, we're going to tally up on the board what everyone is. Oh and he God. went up there, and he's like, middle class. And he's like, oh, no, 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 you're poor. And he's like, am I? You know? And I was like, oh, my God. First Whoa. of all, first of all yeah. First of all, what the fuck? Anyways. But that idea of, like, when you're a kid, you're just, like, ingenuity. And you're like, we're going to just play with, you know, sticks. Or we're going to throw rocks at each other. Isn't that fun? (laughs) We're going to jump across rooms. And it's funny because when I watched uh, George Washington by uh, David Gordon Green, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, what a beautiful, poignant childhood film. And I was like, oh, he kind of, I don't want to say stole, but he was highly influenced. (laughs) Just an homage (laughs) to Killer of Sheep. And so, again, he uh, used the UCLA film uh, program to uh, make it. It cost about, like, $5,000. And I'm like, that's amazing. Made over the course of a year with non-professional actors. Um, But the the main uh, character, uh, Stan, is a working actor. And he, I think, is currently in Queen Sugar. Um, And so, yeah, I just, yeah. And so it has a documentary feel. um, And I like, yeah, again, that it's not manipulative um, it just seems like very real, mm-hmm. and uh, again, not these like certain like, dramatic like everything's falling apart. Right. It's just people are like moving on with their lives. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's a kitchen sink drama. I can get behind, Ooh, <laughs> which is rare. Yeah, <laughs> let's put that forth. Yeah. <laughs> To do some pitching. Little pitching stitch. <laughs> sure. We don't have a title for God. this. And if you have one, and if you are good with puns, you yeah. should just drop us drop us a line. Because we're, we're fresh open. out of puns, baby. <laughs> yeah. But this time, Alars is leading, mm-hmm. which means she is going to bring two main elements, an actor and a sort of theme genre. And I will follow with a wild card actor. Yes. So Lars... Mm-hmm. Take okay. it away. Okay, follow me on this one. Because this started as I was going to do an original pitch, like straight out apart yeah. from this. Okay, so it was going to be called The Stuntman. And because I was thinking about like body doubles, like actors, like IRL, like actors with their their doubles, their body doubles or stunt doubles, and how interesting that would be as a movie to explore how they have to like... I don't know if I'm sure not in real life, but you know how they like have to like build their muscles accordingly. Like if you're an action star, like who is Schwarzenegger's body double? That's crazy that you would yeah. have to like, how could you ever have that body? Because he spends, you know, eight hours of the day in the gym to yeah. do whatever. So I was thinking about body doubles and how that could be kind of a weird, um, for lack of a better word, Lynchian sort of psychological mm-hmm. thriller of like having to like make your body like this other person and they're famous and Ooh. you're not, but you're like doing all the physical, like all the hard stuff and you could yeah. die. And some stunt people do die. So that's where my mind was at um, for the stunt man. And then I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about Eddie Murphy um, has at least two or three doubles that he will, like, he will not be apparently on film unless it is his full-on face. So if it's, like, from the back of his head, from the side of his head, or even on some run, uh, what's it, not runways, 
uh, red carpets. He will have a double. Like, what? go to Japan for an opening of a oh movie. And I'm like, what? That's crazy. Um, so I was looking up that guy, and yeah. I feel like the internet was scrubbed from some stuff about him because I couldn't find hardly any information, Whoa. but it was there, but it was not a lot of it. And then also, because you, you have to do the impression of them, so basically you're creating your own doppelganger. Yeah. So I was like, okay, there's something there. Ooh, so that's yeah. the story. And I was even thinking if we want to go, this might be too contrived, but here's an area of a possibility of like, then maybe that actor is on set and then there's a stunt, and then you're watching your stunt person do a stunt, and then, like, what if they died doing the stunt? So you're almost, like, watching your own death. Okay, so you're at that. Then, okay, I'm going to take a step further. Yeah. What if they come back as a ghost, they haunt you, but you're being haunted by yourself, Whoa. and they've, like, learned to be you. So you're kind of being haunting by you, and then you get a little touch of the Jor- new Jordan Peele movie there. Anyways. Yeah. Um, and then and, double, and, kind yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I was like, because a lot of double doppelganger movies, I'm like, well, what are they? Are they real? Are they yeah. really your, like twin because you know mm-hmm. some we all have a twin apparently you know um like across the world so i'm like is it an actual person or is it um in your mind so i was like what if this like and they're like what if they try to take up your life i don't know so i was like Ooh, there's a lot yeah. of possibilities i'm not yeah. saying that we should all do that because that might be a lot of stuff yeah maybe it could be a series i don't know Ooh. so maybe it's called stunts or the stunt man or something so then i was thinking okay who has like a really interesting physicality because um, I feel like it would be better with an action star. Um, yeah. I just feel like that would be more interesting. And I was like, who needs a really great dramatic turn? And I was like, Michael B. Jordan. I would love to see. Ooh. Really muscular. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like, mean, hey, two of those on the eyes, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just think that, and sorry, that's a very specific pitch, but it's something I was yeah. already thinking about, and it was kind of evolving. And then, anyway, so I would watch the shit out of that movie. Yeah. So. And so I think that it's going to throw out my wild card yeah. element with some kind yeah. of supernatural element, which I feel like we're already We're already that. in that world. We're already and in that world. Life. And yeah. then my actor was suggested by friend and listener, Mario. <laughs> Hi, Hi, Mario. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller. Where's she been? Hey, We're gonna... you know what? And you know... I'm Buffy vibes? Buffy, you know? Okay. Like, she definitely had stunt doubles mm-hmm. with oh, Buffy. Yeah. yeah. So I think there could be, ooh, an interesting element yeah. where he's the actor, he's got his stunt doubles, but then she's already been through it with her doppelganger, right? Okay. Like... Mm-hmm. Someone who was doing her stunts from Buffy, and she's so been she's like, playing herself. She's, I think she should play herself. And he, wait, would he be playing? Speaking of all these <gasps> sort of cinema verite Ooh. movies, okay, he's playing. He's Michael B. Jordan, and yeah. he's on. Okay, I'm, I'm getting chills. Yeah. Okay, I guess so. <laughs> so yeah, it's a little bit of a, yeah, he's playing himself or a mm-hmm. version of himself, doing like an action movie. Yeah, sees his double die. Mm-hmm. And then, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a lot of stuff. I feel like in Death Tans, it can be one. really well done. Yeah, but I But there's think some so. element, something about... There has to be a supernatural element. So I do mm-hmm. think the, like, haunting part or the mm-hmm. sort of, like, the double, stunt double to doppelganger sort of transition where suddenly mm-hmm. then it's like you're being sort of tracked by them. Mm-hmm. You're not sure if everyone's seeing them or if it's just you, but mm-hmm. then there's some confusion where it's like, am, are you just being psychologically tormented by grief? Yeah. And I think Sarah Michelle can come in as someone who maybe has been on the run from like trying to like stay one step ahead of her or double. Is it really Sarah Michelle Geller? <gasps> and it's really her stunt double doppelganger. I'm just saying maybe. Well, we won't find out oh, until twists. No okay, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> no spoilies. Oh my God. This, this sounds really good. I'm ready. Yeah. Okay, I'm ready for this right now. I am. Anyone? Hey, pit, let's pitch hey, it. Hey, every people call my people. <laughs> yeah.
right, so now let's get into what we've been watching, what we're, you know, planning on watching, what we recommend, uh, just pretty much what's on our radar right now. So first off, I don't want to get into this because this could be a one-hour episode, a special, <laughs> very special episode, Rat Boy. We <gasps> watched Rat Boy on Christmas. On Christmas. <laughs> and my my, I don't... Her mind broke. It was like fully... <laughs> like a full meltdown <laughs> of like, what is like the motivation? What is happening? So if you just want to... I don't know if it's fun enough to be a like a bad watch, you know what I mean? Yeah, so... But, Rat Boy, know. directed yeah. by Sandra Locke, 1986? Yeah. I want to say? Yeah. yeah. And, boy, I don't even think <sighs> don't we even can explain know. it. Yeah, we don't have time. Yeah. Anyway, it's... Uh, she finds a rat boy in a dump, in, a, like, a, a dump? A city yeah. dump? A tries, to, tries to make him famous, dump. and apparently he becomes famous, maybe? We're but not I, sure. But we're it's like, unclear. maybe this happens over the course of 40 hours? I don't <laughs> we know. We really can't tell. And then he meets a lot of kooky characters... I guess. And then he's like, take me back to the dump, I guess. He has a bejeweled necklace that he capers off to. I to say. Oh, boy. It was a journey, and it felt so much longer than it was. I mean, I can't say that I... I did enjoy watching it with a group. It's not so bad it's good. It's straight up bad. And it's mostly fun, like, if you have a friend like Lars who is, like, deeply tormented, tormented by, like, huge plot holes and just, like, huge, just, like, bad writing, then it's fun to watch with them. I wouldn't shut up about it. It's just, like, a real treat to watch their brain, like, short circuit trying to figure out. Oh, my God. So watch at your own risk. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I, uh, let's see what else I've been watching. The series Homecoming on Amazon, which, you know. It's fine, Julie Roberts. I don't know. It was more like I liked that he, uh, the, the guy, the creator pulled, um, the soundtrack from other scores of other films. Mm, I thought that uh, for a while it took me a minute, and I was like, this music is really good. And I realized it was from uh, like a million great films from the seventies. So I would say watch it for the soundtrack and those great seventies zooms. Also, I saw a very English scandal with Hugh Grant, and I love Ben uh, Wishaw. I always feel like I'm saying that wrong. Wishaw? I don't actually sure. know how to say it. It's like Pishaw. Wishaw. Okay. <laughs> um, so I didn't realize I liked uh, Ben Wishaw that much. So that was fun. Uh, Treasure of the Bitch Islands. Treasure uh, of the oh, what oh, islands? Oh, what? No, I'm sorry. What was that? Uh, Playback? Tre- <laughs> oh, Treasure of the Pitch Islands. Oh, damn oh, it. Damn it. Like anyone be like, oh, that old chestnut. I know what that is. <laughs> we all know. Um, so I believe his name is F.J. Uh, I don't know if it'd be like Osang, Osang. He's French. He's a French punk uh, musician, hmm. writer, made some films. I didn't write down the year. It's like in the 80s or 90s. It's basically like if Guy Madden was like a French punk. Oh, okay. And so it's very entertaining. Uh, again, don't know what the hell's happening, but it's fun to watch. And that's on movie at the moment, but otherwise I don't know where the fuck you'd find it. I don't know if we really mentioned Widows in our last episode, but um, as I was, like, looking up stuff, so this is from a note from last week, um, I want to see this movie I've never heard of called Set It Off, 1996, F. Gary Gray directed, he's the guy that did Friday, Straight Outta Compton, and Be Cool, which, side note, is the only movie I've ever walked out of in a theater, but I did like that, you know, uh, but other than that, that was just like a little side note, but yeah, Set It Off, it's got Queen Latifah. Jada Pinkett Smith, Vivica A. Fox, they I've rob banks. Seen it. I yes. want to see it. Okay, okay, okay. Right, I want to see that. Yeah. So that's just a little yeah. something I want to watch. 
And I just noticed that on Canopy, <gasps> which I totally signed up for, and I've already basically used all my credits for the month. Gotta so get those anyway. James credits. Yeah. <laughs> so I know exactly. Like, you gotta hey, double James, up. Uh, yeah. Where's your, where's your library card? card? <laughs> so I noticed that all of Frederick Wiseman's documentaries, or at least a ton of them, are on there. So I cannot wait to check that out. He is uh, one of our best documentarians. He has this really great, like, non-judgmental eye, and he manages to find these really amazing sectors of the world uh to uh focus his lens on so i want to see of course me i'm i'm like model so mm-hmm. it's about models yeah. and uh, department like there's one called the store about department stores hey. so of course i want to be like Ooh, retail yeah. you know <laughs> obviously there's like legit serious ones like public housing mm-hmm. in jackson heights and at berkeley so uh yeah there's oh. just like a ton to see and i I, know, I can't wait to check all that out it'll take me months because obviously yeah six you gotta credits or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So I've just got three recommendations. And these are all movies that would have been highlights for me had I seen them before we recorded our 2018 highlights episode. (laughs) So there's one that I really liked and two that blew me away. Uh, There's two skateboarding movies. One is Skate Kitchen by Crystal Moselle, 2018. Uh, It's the same director who did Wolfpack about that group of boys who were shut-ins who did their own versions of Hollywood movies. Mm -hmm. This is her first... Ponytails. Yeah, this is... (laughs) Long ponytails. (laughs) Sorry. Long, you might recognize the Blues Brothers, but long ponytails. (laughs) But that movie is amazing, and this movie is also great. It's about an all-girl skate crew in New York City, and it's based on a real skate crew. Um, Moselle was on the subway and she heard these girls just like talking and chatting and she was like a little eavesdropping snoop. She is a little snoop. She's a a real snoop. Um, And she just started talking to them, befriended them and she made a sort of fictionalized story that actually stars the girls in the crew themselves. Um, It's just this great movie about young adulthood and friendship and skateboarding which is just so incredibly male dominated but that is really changing. (laughs) Super recommend. It's on Hulu. Also on Hulu is Minding the Gap by director Bing Liu, also 2018. Liu has been a camera operator and cinematographer, but this is his first film as a director. And it centers on him and his two friends, Kier and Zach. And the three of them all got into skateboarding in Rockford, Illinois, this Rust Belt town, Hmm. very economically depressed. Um, But they all share a history of family trauma and physical abuse that drew them together and into skateboarding. And Liu weaves in a lot of footage that he took of them for when they were much younger because he was, like, filming them doing skateboarding, like, when they were, like, little preteens. And um, it actually turns into a story about cycles of abuse and breaking them or continuing them and what kids who experience trauma do as they grow up. And then it also um, addresses how you handle it when a close friend starts repeating the cycle of domestic violence that he saw as a kid and that is very personal to you as well. And I think it just really drives at kind of deconstructing this masculinity and violence in this really um, emotional and sensitive way that I would love to see from more young male filmmakers. So it totally blew me away. Last Also, and like the most mind blowing um, is uh, Lucretia Martel's 2017 film Zama, which um, I thought a lot about Sam, one of my oldest and dearest friends, when I was watching it, and I wish we could have seen it together. So, Martel is an Argentinian director, and I realized after I watched it that I'd actually seen and loved a couple of her other movies before I really like paid attention to directors Mm -hmm. at all. So, she also did. La Cienega, which is from 2001, uh, and she did The Headless yeah. Woman from 2008, like that thriller. So, yeah, so she's 
incredible. Uh, Zama is based on a 1956 novel with the same name, and it follows just like the travails of this colonial Spanish officer, Don Diego de Zama, as he's in this remote part of Paraguay, and he's trying to get stationed elsewhere. It's the late 18th century. Everything like sucks and is crazy. (laughs) And it just places you in kind of his psychological state as he's constantly feeling like trapped and confused and he's always missing part of the story and mm-hmm. you can't like even like like the, the cinematography like it starts out very tight where like you can't see everything in the mm-hmm. scene and you're like trying to see what else and it's kind of placing you in this disorientation that he has mm-hmm. um he's always kind of one step behind and anyway i guess spend a whole episode talking oh, about wow. this movie but i will just say if you love Gogol or Dostoevsky or a lot of 19th century Russian literature or 20th century South American literature, this movie will be like a new favorite film. And conversely, if you love Zama, you should hit me up because I think we get a pretty (laughs) slamming book club going. (laughs) Well, that does it for us. If you like what you hear, you can leave us a rating and a review if you're really nice and you can subscribe to keep up with us. Oh, and another thing. You do not have to sit and keep your notes app open or be Googling when we are talking. We put all the links to everything we talk about in the episode notes. So you can just head to those notes and click on the hyperlink to take you to IMDb. Hyperlink. It'll take you to the World Wide Web. This isn't the Watermelon Woman. You can have all this information on our fingertips. (laughs) So that said, if you have some of your own things you're looking forward to in 2019 or if you have any elements you want us to riff on a pitch generator whatever you can send us an email at storyboardpod at gmail.com via instagram at storyboard podcast or via twitter at storyboard underscore pod and you can let us know if we can use your name or mention your message Don't mention Fraser. Don't right? mention Fraser. Don't mention Fraser. <laughs> is that our other That's Fraser our other, theme yeah. song? I think we have the Fraser. All we do is mention Fraser. <laughs> don't mention Fraser. Shh. Ooh, I kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like talk about TV, but don't mention Fraser. Holy shit. <laughs>